Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. And at our church, we talk a lot about wanting to be a part of restoring faith in Jesus and the church. So we want you to know, wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, whether you're deconstructing or reconstructing, whether you're disentangling, doubting, rebuilding, no matter where you are, we want you to know that you are not alone. And we want to be a support for you as you journey down this road of faith. So if you have questions or you need support, we would love to chat with you. You can reach out to us through our website at restoreaustin.org. And we hope you enjoy this week's message. I was having a conversation with my dad, who I have a great relationship with. But in a conversation about faith, deconstruction, things seemingly changing, he said, well, do you think that Jesus is the way? And I was like, yeah, but can you tell me what that looks like? He's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, what does the way mean? Is it a dance? Is it a rhythm? Is it a practice? Is it a doorway? Is it a gate? And he's like, well, it is what it is. It's the way. And we moved on from that conversation. Uh, what is the way? What, when Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is the image that you imagine when you read that? Do you imagine Jesus as kind of like a cosmic, you know, uh, bouncer at the kingdom club? You know, going, mm -mm, sorry, you and your friends can't get in, you know? Or, because that sounds like he's in the way, but he's saying he is the way. I want to talk about the images that we associate with the words that we use. My name is Scott. I make my living as a professional artist, which means I've taken a vow of poverty. I'm really spiritual. Okay. <laughs> I want to start by talking about St. Patrick. Um, the reason we celebrate St. Patrick's Day is because St. Patrick really changed Christendom as we know it. So a long time ago, Patrick lived on the island of England. And one day as a teenager, he was kidnapped by Irish pirates. Just imagine you two with eye patches, all right? And they take him away and they took him to Ireland and they enslaved him for five years. He worked at a farm. And while he was at this farm, uh, doing work labor and stuff like that, he began to develop a relationship with God. He worked out in the fields. His job was to be a shepherd. And as he was out in the fields, he started hearing the Spirit of God talk to him. And he developed this conversation with God. One day, five, five or six years into it, he had a dream one night. And uh, he heard the Spirit say to him, I want to get, get up and walk to the coast and get on a ship and go home. And so he got up in the middle of the night, he left the house, and he walked to the coast, which was like 200 miles. <laughs> it wasn't a quick jaunt. And he got on a ship and he made his way back to England. He ended up uh, going to university, going to seminary, became a priest and was a priest for a number of decades. Then one night he had a dream and his former slave owner came to him in a dream and came to him and said, farm boy, I guess it was an early Princess Bride reference. And he said, farm boy, come back to us, come back to us and teach us your ways. And so he goes to the church and he goes, I want to go to Ireland and bring uh, the gospel to Ireland. You gotta understand at this time, Ireland was pretty wild. Like it was the least churched place in like the Roman Catholic kind of 
empire is that's weird to say but it was kind of like that you know in the so what he did is he gathered a group of priests and artists and bakers and musicians and stuff like that and they went to Ireland and they didn't get off their boats and pull out their swords and go it's our way or the only way what they did is they said greetings to you and we come in the name of the God who's already in your midst they came in they said God is already in your midst and what they would do is they would point things out that they were, that was like the shamrock. They're like, the shamrock is like how God is, a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they honored that God was already in their midst. And one of the ways that they taught people how to pray is that they would do this. They would say, um, what they would do is they would, uh, they would say, what we want you to do is we want you to close your eyes. And we can kind of do this now. Let's just do this for a second. We just, where we're at, we'll just close our eyes. And they said, Imagine you're in your garden and whatever garden, you know, because back then everybody had a garden. There was no H-E-B. They had to have a garden. And so they're like, imagine you're in your garden and Jesus and the disciples are there. And when we say disciples, we do mean the 12, but we also reference the other disciples that were around that time. And, and then the disciples that have been throughout history, the saints of women and men who have dedicated their lives to following the way. And, uh, Jesus and the disciples are there, and you're there too. Imagine you're in your garden, and Jesus and the disciples are there, and you're there too. What are they talking about? And this is how they would teach people how to pray. If you need to stay in that for a while, please do. But what, what is happening in that situation? What is happening to us while we're doing to that? What we're doing is we're using our imagination. Now, the definition of imagination, according to Webster and the books that we use to define words in our culture, is the faculty or action of forming images of external objects not present to the senses. So it's about uh, being able to create imagery. And all of us have this capacity. It's not just saved for creatives who work at Disneyland, right? We all have the capacity for imagination. Because if you bought a plot of land you have, and you were going to build a house, you have the capacity to imagine what a house would look like on that land. Or maybe this afternoon you're going to grill it up and you've been imagining the bacon cheeseburger you're going to make for your friends and for yourself. Or for some of us who had to speak this morning, we imagine what kind of clothes we put on and what shoe decisions we needed to make in order to not get nailed on the internet. These are knockoffs, by the way. So we all have this capacity for imagination, but imagination isn't necessarily, well, like imagination is about forming images. And uh, I make my living by forming images. And so I have some thoughts on some images that I'd like to share with you. So our words are rooted in imagery. When we are speaking and using words, writing like that, we are referencing, we're trying to describe what we're seeing externally or internally, our thoughts are feeling, right? So if I was to say he, she, I'd be referencing a person, was uh, referencing a time and space and history, right? Uh, sweat into the oldies, I would be referencing a global franchise created by one of the greatest people ever, Richard Simmons, right? So these words are referencing a very real thing that I'm witnessing, and they are representative of those images. Now, when we get to beliefs, okay, our beliefs are rooted in words, our sacred texts, which are rooted in images. Oh, interesting. But we don't often think about this because most of us come from a Protestant tradition or some kind of, you know, images that aren't there. But I guarantee you that images are, 
are, are you're referencing images internally about the words and the beliefs that you say. We can just do this experiment for a, a second. I can just say, hey, why don't you take a moment to imagine heaven? What do you imagine heaven to be like? And if we sat with that word heaven and we looked at the images that come up inside of us, we would have very, you know, if we could, and then if we could look into each other's heads and see what was there, after the initial shock and horror of what we'd find in there, because you know what's in there, uh, <laughs> we would find very different things, but we would also find very similar things. And I bet you cold, hard cash, put it in my hands, I'm going to put a Venmo QR code right up there, that the images that we have in common didn't come to us through scripture, because that's words, but they have come to us through cartoons and movie clips and caricatures and comic books and films that we've written throughout our lives. There's no biblical precedence for angel wings and a halo and clouds. But when I asked some teenagers in Tennessee not too long ago, I said, describe heaven to me. They're like, I don't know, angel wings, halos, clouds. We're referencing these images that we've witnessed and then associating it with the words that we think, the words that we use. Now, the interesting thing is when we don't have a, a vibrant visual culture, we end up becoming a culture of word policing. Hey, the way we say it is this way. You didn't say it that way. I'm not sure if we're on the same team, right? We're judging words. What do you, what do you mean when you say that? Two people could be describing the same thing just using different words. And I actually think, too, when... Uh, yeah, we're, when we're using words, I actually think when we're describing uh, or if somebody comes to a point where they're like, I don't believe in God anymore, I think actually what they're saying, they're not saying I don't believe anymore or I don't believe the words anymore. I think what they're saying is the images don't work for me anymore. I don't believe in God anymore. Tell me the God you don't believe in. Describe the God you don't believe in. And then they would give a picture of what they don't believe in. And you're like, that's an awful God. Yeah, you shouldn't believe in that one, right? We have these images that are associated with the words that we use. And I think maybe for you, you know, here's another thing. If you grew up in the church, because I'm an image guy and I grew up in Protestantism and I didn't have any images, I've thought about this a lot. Um, we actually give images to our kids when we, if you grew up in church. Sunday school and stuff, you get these little cartoons. I had flannel graphs if, you ever, if you're old as me. Uh, you know, cartoons and characters. And then by like middle school and stuff, we no longer give images. So I bet for you, my assumption is that most of you here, the images that kind of are associated with the words of faith that we use are still cartoons and caricatures we saw when we were kids. And maybe those images stopped working for you. You know the images I'm talking about. This isn't really given when you're a kid, right? But like, this is a pretty famous one. This one doesn't work for me anymore. Mostly because I've never been in this situation. I mean, you know, like, and nor do I think God is a bearded man with like a, you know, a posse of other naked cherubs. And we won't even reference what's going on over there. But like, you know, we've been given this. This is what it's like. God and man and stuff is like, is it? Is this really what it is? And there are lots of images that are kind of associated with Christianity that were like, is this, is this what we're buying into? Are these the images that we have to associate with our thing? They get kind of creepy, you know? There's like a disembodied heads floating around, you know? There's, is Jesus really from Norway? You know, I like, this is like the James Franco Jesus. Um, 
you know, we've seen Buddy Jesus, like none of it, you know, and then there's like Christian bookshops and stuff. None of this stuff is true. This is all imagined. This is all made up. This isn't real, this stuff, you know, um, no matter how many times you put it together. Like this is, these are the images. And I think at a certain spot, we're like, is this what this is? Are these, you know, people like to make fun of it, but like, um, you know, but then people like to put their ideologies and stuff with it. And it's leading to these this weird kind of way of we're using words and what we imagine. None of this is real. This is all imagined, made up. But the images are affecting us and they can create and form us into being certain kinds of people in the world. I'm really interested in what kind of images are forming you and being kind of certain people in the world. Because I know for some of us, we've seen what kind of images form destructive people and we're like, I don't want any part of that. And our imagination is really important. Like, imagination isn't necessarily the images themselves. Imagination is the faculty or action. It's the space inside of you that holds these images. What kind of images are you holding in there? Because what images you decide to hold in there are going to lead you into a certain kind of future. I am... Uh, I'm a creative artist. I'm a haunted person. The reason I'm an artist is because I'm a haunted person. Because every day things come to me and they're like, make me. And I'm like, I can't. I'm driving right now. And they're like, make me or we'll go away. And I'm like, don't go away. Okay. And I pull over and I pull out my sketch pad. And I, I'm just trying to release the haunting, right? I am given these images and stuff. But what, as an artist, there's this interesting thing where I'll see a certain future that'll come to me and I'll be like, oh, I'm being invited into that future. And then my work is to bring all those things together to live into that future. What, so then, from my experience, like imagination is what kind of future are you going to live into? Because imagination leads us to our greatest achievements, but it also leads us to our greatest atrocities. It took imagination to figure out how to put a human being on another planet. It also took imagination to figure out how to systematically destroy a group of people. Imagination is a powerful space, faculty within you that holds images into a future. So this is my kind of like updated definition is imagination is the faculty within you that allows the future, not the musician, but the future to show you what's possible with what's already here. Because the thing as an artist is that I'll be shown a future, but then I have to go around and go, okay, where are all the things to make that future a reality? When I look at Jesus, and I know this is a big passage here in Matthew 6, before he gives the Lord's Prayer, this is one of the things he says, and we'll just, if it's okay with you, we won't read every single word, but he's like, you probably are familiar with this, he's like, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Uh, is not life more than food? If you live in Houston, you're like, no. Uh, is not life more, is the body more than clothes? If you live in Dallas, you're like, no. Um, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Do not worry about your clothes. Look at the flowers of the field. If you read and spend time with how Jesus is in the world, Jesus embodies a certain kind of way of being in the world. Jesus is the way. He, he shows us a way, right? And the way that Jesus shows us, he says, God is already here. God is already working. Do you see that God is already here, that God is already working. Don't you see it? It's in there. It's in the birds. It's in the fields. It's in the flowers. God's here. Are you involved in that? So 
when I was thinking about, like, is Jesus the way or is Jesus in the way, I'd like to use this metaphor as, like, a, as a, a viewfinder, right? If, if imagination is this, like, place that holds images, so we can use this viewfinder as a metaphor, then what kind of images lead us in the way? And uh, I would actually submit to you, I'll submit to you that what I think is there's kind of two ways, is that um, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of love, says this is the way. And then the kingdom of fear says this is in the way. And, those, and so how do we decipher what kind of images we're allowing to be in us that go, this is in the way, this thing is in the way, versus, oh, this is the way. So let's just go. So let's, let's look at the first one, in the way. What, what kind of this kingdom of fear that's like the opposite of the kingdom of love, what kind of images do we find in this viewfinder, in this, in this cycle? The first thing that you usually come across if you think it's in the way is you come across a-holes. Now just stick with me, Bible Belt, for a second, okay? Uh, look, and I'm not saying if you drive a big truck, you are an a-hole, but I will say that 93% of a-holes choose this as their car of choice. Because look, we've all driven around uh, Texas traffic, you know, in the big cities and stuff, and it's infuriating. And there's people with really, and like, here's, this is, this is you know, it's very like psychotic and, and nerve-wracking and all that kind of stuff. But have you ever been driving somewhere that you've never been before? And you're not quite sure. You don't have it all memorized and stuff. And then like you, you make a, like a small traffic infraction, you know, because you're just like, oh, I didn't know this lane merged. And this happened to me one time. And I was like driving and all of a sudden the lane merged and I was like, oh no, I got to get over. And I happened to be really close to a giant truck. And I made this mistake. And and apparently the person in the truck was the Batman of the interstate, the dark knight of justice enforcing all the traffic rules. And then just immediately he's like, right behind me. And I was like, I literally like waved my hand. I was like, I'm so sorry. I made a, I made a mistake. I didn't know. I'm so sorry. And he's like, no, no, you must pay for your sins. Lights flashing and stuff. I like pulled over. I was like, no, you can go by me. Surely you have, I, I made a mistake. Surely you have other things to do. You don't need to spend here. And he's like, I don't, I don't. I can spend 15 miles following you. I have nothing else to do, but be mad at you. Right, right. This is what driving in modern society is like. We're so angry. We're so angry with our cars. How did we take the most kind and loving Jeep Wrangler, which has like these doe eyes and it's like, are we going to go on an adventure today? And how do we turn it into something that's like, nature, no, we're going to roll all over you. <laughs> Sorry, I get a little. <sighs> yeah, so we'll encounter some anger um, that gets in the way. Uh, secondly, <laughs> Uh, them, them, kind of a carryover of the first one, but them, them is any person that you've never talked to, met, sat at their dinner table, visited their country, you know, someone you've never met before, but it's the them. You know, you didn't grow up with a dad who has a turban, but when you see a dad with a turban, you're like, what's up with them, right? You didn't live in this part of the world and do these customs and stuff, but when you see those customs, you're like, what's up with them, right? And if there's ever any a problem or feel, you know, like you're having a problem or tension and stuff, it's probably not you. It's most likely them. Them. They're in the way. 
My body, uh, my body can feel like it's in the way. Uh, we have some friends who have a house, a family house in Southern California, and they let us use it for a while. And um, my son at the time was eight years old, uh, and he was out in the waves playing, and he met some town kids who were like a little bit older than him, and they were playing and stuff, and I was like, I'm going to go make sure these kids are okay. So I'm like wading out in the water to, to see them, and I hear one of these town kids say to his, his friend or something, he's like, dude, is that your dad? And now look, I understand that I am a dad, and I understand that I am a man in his 40s, but the thing about getting older is that uh, you kind of always imagine yourself or you feel like you're that 15-year-old version of yourself in there, and often you don't really know what you look like on the outside, but in that moment I was like, oh no, I have a dad bod. Um, I, this is not what I look like. I think I have a picture from that day. Yeah, it was something like along the lines, <laughs> along the lines of that. Sometimes we, this beautiful, magical, biological masterpiece that we're in, we've been often told that it needs to look a certain way. And that's mostly been from advertising and marketing and things like that. But we can often go, you know what? This isn't, this isn't the way that I thought it would be or... It's not working. This, this feels like it can be in the way. Love, love is in the way. We, uh, oh man, it makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit, but we're coming up again on another election cycle. Oh no, and we, it's kind of always there right now, but uh, what happens in an election cycle is that the tribes start to rise, you know, this tribalism, and there's two sides, right, and they're going to duke it out. And there's a spectrum of tribalism, and the thing about tribes is that tribes' highest value is their own self-interest. That's what they're trying to get to, their own self-interest. And the thing that's in the way of self-interest is love. Because love is self-emptying and selfless. And in order to accomplish self-interest, you have to kill love. Something has to die. And whether it is uh, an unwanted pregnancy or whether it is an unwanted family from another country escaping persecution... That is in the way of self-interest. And so love, love is in the way. And then finally, reality. Reality feels in the way sometimes. Um, I am a person of faith and I'm an adult. And there's two aspects, there's two (laughs) ingredients to every conversation as like a person of faith and an adult right now that happens in my life. And one is, uh, what's your Enneagram number? (laughs) Four, surprise. And um, (laughs) two is what are you watching? Oh, what are you watching right now? We are in an age of so much content and it's great. But no, I haven't seen season three yet. You know what I'm saying? And like we're taking in all of this storytelling and content and it's great and stuff. But don't you ever feel like when you turn it off and you kind of sit with your own reality, it feels a little less great. You know, if you took me and threw me up against a wall, I wouldn't smash the bricks and then get up and go, assemble. You know, I nick my elbow on a table and I'm like out for the day. <laughs> You're like, re- my reality's a little less glamorous. My life doesn't feel like an eight-part series with a nice narrative arc and a secret surprise ending that makes me want to wait a year for the next season. Reality can sometimes feel like just showing up every day to the mundaneness and responsibility of life. Sometimes reality just feels like it's in the way. 
The thing about a kingdom of fear that sees certain things in the way is that it always leads to destruction. It leads to destruction because it's either a destruction of someone else or a destruction of something else or even a destruction of your own self because all of these things will find in the way. And then we have Jesus who points to this other kingdom of heaven. He says, oh, I missed a slide. <laughs> so you know Kermit's Indiana Jones. Then what do you, what do you know? What do you know what's going to happen next? Um, there's supposed to be the kingdom of heaven in there. Sorry, that's like I left out. Jesus points says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's in our midst. It's actually inside of you, right? So there's this kingdom that Jesus is pointing to. And so what are the images that invite us to seeing that the kingdom is right now, that it is the way? And I would like to say that the first thing is this. This is the way. I know it's a Mandalorian reference now, but like this, this is the way. This. When I was growing up, there was a couple shows that really affected me that I think backed up this idea of that this, this life, is the way. This is where we'll find God. And two, one of the shows was the show, uh, The Muppet Babies. Now, I don't know if you remember this show, but it's basically the Muppets as babies. And they're in this, like, nursery, and they're doing all this stuff with imagination and things. And what this show taught me as a kid, it was like, hey, they're doing all these fun things and stuff, but they were in this playhouse, and then Nanny would walk in and be like, you guys are okay? And she's like, yeah, and they're just hanging out on a couch. But, but that couch actually was like an X-wing, and their nursery was actually the land of Oz. Everything around them was what was inviting them to engage their imagination. The second show was a show called MacGyver. Now, you might not rec recognize it here because it's the soundtrack that was really awesome. Because if you don't have the music playing, it just looks like a guy doing a bunch of stuff. Like, he's tying. He's putting it in. He's picking it up. He's pulling it out. He's jiggling it, rolling it, you know, whatever. But then there's, like, the, you know, the timer and then the big explosion, which never, ever happened in the show. There was never an explosion that big in the show. But MacGyver was uh, a guy who worked for some secret organization, and he had a mullet, and often he found himself in front of an airplane or eating an ice cream cone with that mullet. And he worked for a, a secret organization that was, like, trying to solve problems. And the, what the show was is that MacGyver would end up in a situation where he had a problem that he didn't know how to solve. And he would look around reality and he would go, bottle of chlorophyll, a rope, a battery, a duct tape. And he, then he would make like a rocket ship and fly out of a room. You know, it was something like that. And what it did is it, it, these two shows kind of helped me see that everything around you. <laughs> let's see. There we go. Oh, is there one that says we... Was, Oh, yeah. Who else? That was that one. <laughs> it says uh, um, you will be given everything you need to accomplish what you've been asked to do. Is there a slide for that? Are we out of slides? Oh, you didn't put all the rest of the slides in? Wow, this is going to be a real fun one then. Um, oh, that's okay. It, um, it, so, Okay. Yes, <laughs> Muppet Babies and MacGyver. It's a big mouthful, but I'll give it. Here's, here, here's this prayer that I want to offer you. You will be given everything you need to accomplish what you've been asked to do. You will be given everything you need to accomplish what you've been asked to do. A lot of people will, when I say this, they'll butt up and be like, no, I haven't been given it. It's like, well, what have you been asked to do? 
Oh, I, I don't know yet. What if, whatever you've been asked to do by the giver of your life, you'll be given everything you need to accomplish that. And often what you need to accomplish is going to be hiding out in the life you find yourself in. Sometimes everything you need is at a store, but sometimes everything you need might be hiding in a neighbor or a friend. And it takes vulnerability to go, I need some help. Sometimes what you need is tucked down way deep in you and you haven't allowed yourself to get in there and go, maybe I do have what it takes. Maybe the narratives I tell myself isn't completely who I am. Maybe I've been the victim of limited conclusions about my life. You will be given everything you need to accomplish what you've been asked to do. So we're given this. This is the way. And then there is, there's a this behind the this, too. A this behind the this. There's this story that John writes in his book called John. Uh, about Jesus where they bring this woman who was caught in adultery, apparently by herself because they never bring the man. Um, But they throw her down in front of everybody and they're like, by our law, we have the right to stone her because she's committed adultery. Teacher, what do you say? And then Jesus doesn't say anything. He actually, oh, there we go. He actually uh, just gets down and he starts moving the dirt around. And they're like, what do you say? And then he finally looks up and he's like, um, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. Pretty familiar with this story, right? And it says that the older men leave first because they're a little more self-aware eventually to the younger men until nobody's there. And then it's just this woman and Jesus. And he says to her, woman, where have your condemners gone? And she's like, they're not here. They all left. And he's like, I don't condemn you either. And I've heard this passage most of my life because I grew up in the church. And, you know, I'll hear preachers expound on this like, what did Jesus write in the dirt? Maybe he wrote the sins of the people there. Or maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments or something there. But I would like to submit to you that what he wrote was really important to the story. It would have been written down. But what was written down was that he moved dirt, which I think references the first story about a giver of reality who takes, who creates all things and then takes the dirt, which is just the elements of the universe, and makes a form. And then, but what gives that form life is not the dirt and the elements of the universe itself. It's something hidden, something secret. The word is ruach, a spirit, a breath, a wind, and breathes that spirit into that dirt and creates a person. And I think in that moment, Jesus is like, you, do you see this woman? Because you just see this, but you don't see the this behind the this. There's always, there's a deeper this behind the this. Do you have eyes to see that? Do you hold that image when you look at everybody? There's a great um, Vietnamese monk named Thich Nhat Hanh. He passed a couple years ago. Um, but he has this great practice called the practice of interbeing. Um, and he would do this thing where he would say, I have a piece of paper. He would say, see this piece of paper? Can you see the sun in this paper? Can you see the sun in this paper? Because it takes sunshine to grow trees that are then harvested and made into paper. Can you see the sun in this paper? Can you see the rain 
and the clouds in this paper? Because it takes rains to fall, to grow the trees, to harvest them, to make the paper. Can you see the lumberjack in this paper? Because it takes somebody to get the trees and to process it. Can you see the parents of the lumberjack in this paper? Because it takes two to make a thing go right, right? Can you see? Because if you look deeply into everything, you will see the this behind the this. You will see the deeper connections of all things. And then finally, everyone. Everyone is the way. This is not, uh, this is not my story. This is a story that was told to me by a, a good friend. Um, her name's Joan. No, not that one. Uh, go back to everyone. Thank you. Um, her name's Joan. Joan is a delightful septuagenarian uh, who spent her career being a nurse, ended up doing hospice care, eventually retired, and then became a painter. And we met because we're both in that club. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Joan told me the story that uh, one day in a parking lot, it was, we were putting our paintings away in our cars. And uh, Joan grew up in, when she was really, really young, her mom and her dad moved from St. Louis to Tacoma, Washington, which is this little town, little city south of Seattle, Washington. And um, after a year of being there, uh, Joan's mother got a terminal illness and died. And uh, Joan, uh, Joan was like, look, my father, un he was an unabashed uh, racist. He was a very racist man. But because of their financial situation and... Um, and what they could afford at the time, um, African women, young women uh, who were nannies were less expensive than white women. And he's like, she's like, thus began a series of beautiful black women who became a part of my life. And she's like, my brother and I didn't care what color skin they had. We just knew they, they weren't our mom. And in a way that only little kids can do, they were just complete turds to their nannies. Um, their goal was to try to get their nannies to quit. First to cry and then to quit. And she's like, we were really good at it. But she's like, and then we finally got this nanny who was amazing. She had a wonderful face, a kind smile, a kind voice. And she came into our lives and she's like, she filled a hole, a gap in me that I didn't know I needed, um, which was to have a motherly figure. Years later, Joan is in college. She's studying to be a nurse. And this is like a 1968, a year before uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated, um, civil rights stuff going on. Um, and she's with some friends in an apartment. She finds out that there's going to be a march in Tacoma. And she's like, we got to go. And all of her friends are like, mm, no, that's not our thing. We don't need she's like, no, no, we need to go. We need to go and support that. And they're like, no, no. She's like, I'm going. And her boyfriend was there. And she's like leaving. And she said her boyfriend like came to her at the door. And she's like, he's like, hey, look, if you're going to go down there, I just, I don't think we should be together anymore. She's like, fine. She leaves. <clears throat> she goes down to where this march is taking place, where they're gathering together. She doesn't really know anybody there, but she... She eventually spots a woman who she recognizes, and she realizes that this was like a, 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 a girl who, who is now her age, but they were the same age. It was like her nanny's friend's daughter, and she used to play with her. And, and I, asked, I, was, I asked Joan, I was like, what was her name? Joan's like, I can't remember. I'm in my 70s. I don't remember her name. <laughs> so a friend, an old friend, and she sees her, and she's like, hey, can I, can I walk with you? She's like, yeah. So they... The goal of the march was to start on the outskirts of town and eventually march into the center of Tacoma. And so she's like, as we were marching, you know, the, the 
the, the crowd was large, but the, the people on the side of the street was very small. But as we got closer and closer to the city, more of a crowd on the outside to watch started getting uh, bigger and bigger. And she's like, at first it was silent, and then there was some murmuring, and then there was some yelling, and eventually there were some slurs, and then eventually there were, people started to throw things. And she's like, people started to throw rocks. And, she, and Joan was like, look, I was an atheistic, angry, Roman, Irish Catholic girl. And she's like, I did not believe in God anymore. But in that moment, I prayed. I said, God, I hope a rock lands in front of me so I can throw it back. And she's like, and the Lord works in mysterious ways. And a rock came down and landed in front of her. And she's like, yes. And so she picked up this rock and she went to throw it back at the people. And she said that her friend, reached around her and put her arm in front of her hand and then with her other arm reached around and kind of gave her a hug like a you know like an awkward youth pastor hug and um and as she's there her friend is like right up against her ear and she says this to her she goes no no honey child we don't throw rocks at our goals we don't throw rocks at our goals and Joan said in that moment, she's like, I, it's like I almost blacked out. Like everything just disappeared. And she said, in front of me, I saw two paths laying in front of me. And one path led to vengeance and anger and destruction. And I was on that path. And she's like, I saw this other path open up in front of me that looked like forgiveness and love healing and restoration. And I heard a voice say, what path do you want to walk down? Which way do you want to go? And she said she let go of that rock. And when she let go of that rock, she said, she's like, I cracked open. And she's like, love poured into me. She's like, I don't know if I had ever felt love in my life, but love poured into me, and she's like, and I knew that it was God. She's like, that was the first time I met God. And she said her friend kept her arm around her, and they continued walking together. <laughs> when Joan told me this story in the parking lot, I just like burst into tears, because it's one of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard. Because if you do, if you read the stories of the brave women and men who led and fought in the Civil Rights March. And those who were like convicted by the words of Jesus and the teachings that they found in the Bible, they, yes, they were like, we are standing up for our own dignity that God has given us and our rights to be equal and that. But they also, you hear it in the language and stuff, they're like, we understand that we are heading towards a kingdom where Jesus is at the throne and we're all going there, and they're going to be there too, even though they're throwing rocks right now. Because everyone is the way. I think a lot of us feel that church in some ways is changing. There's been a big revealing. We've, we've uncovered a lot of things that needed to be uncovered, some real racism, misogyny, um, <laughs> sexual abuse, 
which is funny because Jesus says everything that's in the dark will come into the light. But then people are like, no, we can still hide. Um, and we know that it's changing in some ways. But I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it because every church was different in 1681 and church will be different in 2281. But like, I'm not worried about it because I'm not worried about what like, cause, because Christianity started as a joke. Like, Christian is a joke. Do you know that? Like, <laughs> these early followers in front of a king, and they're like, what are you guys, like, little Christ? And they're like, that's funny. That's what we'll call ourselves. And that's where Christian came from. It just means little Christs. We should ask each other, are you a little Christ? Um, because the first name of the church was the way. It was about following a way. It was about seeing that Jesus was the way, and he invited us into that way. I want to offer you just an invitation to practice imaginative prayer. If there's like, maybe it's a spiritual practice you've never really done. It's not hard to do. Um, what, what I, whenever you have a time, for me, I have a lot of, I have little kids, so I have to get up really early in the morning to get a space or sometime, but if you have time, find like, passage of scripture is really helpful, or if you have like an image of something that's really excavating you well, you want to do that, but take a scripture and read that passage, and then spend some time with your eyes closed, and imagine yourself in that scenario. Imagine yourself in that place, and you'd be surprised when you find, like, and, and look around. What does it smell like? What does it sound like? What's happening? Where are you? Who are the people involved? Just spend time being in that space. And you will be surprised the images that you will be offered in the faculty of imagination that's been given to you. And it'll form you into living in a way into a future that we're headed towards. May I pray for you? Jesus, you are the way and the truth and the life. And we are here because we've been uh, captured by the, those words, those images, that presence, that spirit. I'm sure in this room there's just a myriad of stories of, of I was doing this and then something happened to me. I was, I was silent and then this appeared. I was reading this and then it opened my eyes. All kinds of stories, all kinds of testimonies, all kinds of witnesses to how you are already in the world working. May we have eyes to see. May we examine the images that are associated with the words that we say, the words that we think we need to say. And may those that are destructive, that are leading to destruction, go away. And may they be replaced with images of restoration, healing, community, forgiveness, equality, dignity holiness, all of those things. Thank you for already being involved in our lives. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. We seek to know you. We seek to love you. And we ask that you would uh, meet with us and, and give us something today for that. Amen.